This is Josh Steinle, author of Chief Marketing Officers at Work, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Josh Steinle, and we're going to talk about his new book, Chief Marketing Officers at Work. Josh Steinle is the founder and CEO of MWI, a digital marketing agency. He has written over 200 articles for publications like Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc., Mashable, TechCrunch, and Time Magazine. Josh is a TEDx speaker and sought-after presenter at marketing industry events. In 2016, he was recognized by Entrepreneur Magazine as one of 50 online marketing influencers to watch. And data from social media research firm Leadtail recently ranked Josh number 11 on their list of people most mentioned and retweeted by CMOs. Josh lives in Hong Kong with his wife and two children. He is a voracious reader, like many of the listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast. He's an ultra trail runner, triathlete, and skateboarder. He's an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and served for two years as a full-time missionary for his church in Manaus, Brazil. So he is fluent in English and Portuguese. Josh, congratulations on Chief Marketing Officers at Work, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. So glad to be here. So uh, Brazil, uh, you must have enjoyed watching the Olympics this year. Yeah, it's fantastic to see it in Brazil. And I love the exposure this is bringing to Brazil, although not all the exposure has been positive with some of the challenges Brazil has, but hopefully it's a good thing for the country. Yeah. And now you're, as we speak, you are in Hong Kong. So just to add to the excitement here, it's Monday at 6.15 p.m. where I am on the east coast of the United States, and it's 6.15 a.m. where you are in Hong Kong. So for all you people that say you're not uh, early risers, you know, Josh is going to put you to shame. But Josh, it's it's Tuesday where you are. Tell me about the future. The future looks, uh, well, right now it's a little bit cloudy and gray. So that's what it looks like at the moment, but hopefully it brightens up by the time it gets to where you're at. Okay, okay. That was not a fair question. I'll give you that. <laughs> now, Josh... Chief Marketing Officers at Work, it's 29 interviews with some of the top chief marketing officers around the world. Step back and tell the story of how the book came to be. It's very interesting, too, because I am also an an agency guy, and this was a a prospective client that kind of got this all rolling for you, right? That's right. It was a prospective client that killed one of our deals, and that's what led to this book. So about two years ago, I walked into the office of a potential client, really a client that we had already landed and we had almost signed and we went in to sign the deal and then we were going to kick off and have this meeting to get things started. And I walked into this meeting and there was a new face in the meeting and this person introduced herself as Hope Frank and she said, I'm the new CEO here or the new CMO here. And she said, everything's on hold until I do an audit and figure out what's going on with marketing here. And so our deal got killed and we walked out of there thinking, oh, man, if we had just signed that deal a week ahead of time. You missed it by this much. 
right, we missed it. I mean, we would have had the deal signed and it would have been great and everything would have been perfect. And I walked out of there just thinking, man, these CMOs can really kill our deals. And a little while later, as a business, we were talking about our personas and who we needed to focus on as an agency. And I remember this event and I said, we really need to understand these CMOs better because they can make or break these deals so easily for us. And so I decided to go out and write a book about digital marketing for CMOs. The way that I learn is by writing. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, I'll write this book and then this will help me to understand CMOs and what they need and what their wants are. And a few years earlier, I had read a book called Founders at Work by Jessica Livingston, who's with uh, Y Combinator. And I loved this book and it's part of a series. And so I thought, well, I'll just go find the CMOs at Work book from this series. And I went looking for it and it didn't exist, but that led me to the publisher's website, A-Press, who publishes this at work series. And I saw that they inv were inviting people to write books for this series. And I thought, what better way for me to understand CMOs than to write the CMOs at work book for this series? So I contacted them and said, hey, I write for Forbes and these other publications. I have experience interviewing business people can I write this book, CMOs at Work? And they said, that sounds great. And they gave me a contract, a book deal. And I went out and I started doing the interviews. And that's how the book came about. So even though that deal got killed, now Hope Frank's a good friend of mine. She helped me out with this book. She helped connect me to CMOs. And it turned out to be a real blessing in disguise. Was it difficult to get the interviews? It was, and at the same time, it was easier than I thought in some ways. I did a lot of work to get the interviews. It was a logistical nightmare, I would say. We had some CMOs. The hardest part was just getting the time with some of these CMOs. So I would reach out to them, and it wasn't too hard to get an initial contact most of the time. But then to pin them down and get them to dedicate an hour to this book, that was the tough part. And in a lot of cases, they would schedule and then they would cancel. I had one CMO who canceled on me 10 times while I was scheduling for this book, including twice she canceled during the interview. So we were partway through the interview and all of a sudden she said, I'm sorry, I've got to go. Something just came up and we had to leave it. And she actually never made it into the book. So these is people are really busy. And Is that why there's yeah. 29? No, yeah, that's a different story. We, I did have 30 interviews. I actually conducted 30 interviews, and then one CMO left her job, and afterwards she said, I don't think we should publish this. I've talked with my lawyer. He recommends I don't do it. My previous employer is kind of going after people, and so she, we weren't able to publish her interview. I've got it, but nobody else will ever see it. Okay, interesting. Well, what were some of the things that, most surprised you about these interviews? Obviously, you had preconceived notions. Uh, what what was the reality? One of the preconceived notions I had was I'm used to, I've run an agency for 16 years. I'm used to going in and talking with executives who understand next to nothing about digital marketing. And I thought, I'm going to go interview these CMOs and they're going to be behind the times and it's going to be interesting, but these are probably people who have risen through the ranks. And at this point, they're out of touch with anything to do digital. And I was shocked at how on top these executives were. And some of these are people who are in their late 60s. They're at the end of their careers. They're about to retire. 
And yet these people were still very much on top of the digital world and top of content marketing and apps and search engine optimization. They knew their stuff. And that really surprised me how well they were versed in the digital world and how on top of things they were and how into the data they were. I wasn't expecting that really. Hmm. Were there ever instances where they talked about like colleagues that weren't able to evolve like they did or that the challenges uh, associated with being so conversant in digital marketing, perhaps versus the rest of their organization or their their partners in the C-suite? Yes. One of the questions I asked them is, what are common mistakes that CMOs are making today or that you see other CMOs making? And yes, the idea that some CMOs are dropping behind when it comes to digital or data or they're not following the trends is something that came up repeatedly in the answers. Looking at some of the other questions that you you did ask, one of my favorites, of course, because this is the Marketing Book Podcast, is is, is you ask them, uh, do you have any favorite books that have helped you be a better CMO? What kind of responses did you get? Yes. So a lot of the, these CMOs do a lot of research. The they, they're doing a lot of reading, they're reading a lot of articles, they're watching videos, they're reading books, they're talking to a lot of people, they go to a lot of events. And if you think about the job of a CMO, these are not people who are doing the marketing themselves, these people have teams, and their job is to make sure that their teams are getting all the information that they need. And so these people are voracious consumers of information because they're consuming the information and then they're going to their teams and they're saying, do you know about this? Do you know about this? Have you, are you up to speed on this? So they have to keep a broad grasp on marketing generally. And then they have to make sure that their teams are up to speed on marketing so that the teams can be doing all the cutting edge stuff and the actual work of getting the marketing done. And so they are reading a lot and they're reading a lot of books. I don't, recall exactly specific books that they called out, but I do remember that they were reading quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I understand they all listen to the Marketing Book Podcast. Um, I didn't see that in the version I read, uh, Josh, but um, I'm sure that's in there. Um, what I'm sure there are. That's just a given. <laughs> yes, thank you. What What are some of the big challenges that that they are facing? What's uh, is there, Are there any, is there some commonality? What's keeping them up at night? Yes. Well, there's this issue with chief marketing officers these days in that the tenure of a chief marketing officer is very short. A lot of CMOs have their job for 12 to 18 months and then they get fired. And this is an issue that a lot of CMOs are having to deal with, which is how do I get into a company, make my splash, get things done and prove my value before the clock ticks so far that the CEO says this isn't happening fast enough and he lets the CMO goes and brings in another CMO. And this is a real challenge because on the one hand, the CMO wants to take action and make things happen. On the other hand, the CMOs are saying, I don't want to just rush in and say, hey, I've got all these great plans. Let's do all this because before they understand what's really going on in that company. So there are CMOs who are saying, I was asking them, hey, how do you adjust to being a new CMO in this company? What are your first steps? And some of them said, well, the first three months, I'm just listening. I'm just going around. I'm talking to people. I'm asking questions. I'm not doing anything until I understand what's already been done, what's going on, the temperament of the people I'm working with, what are the opportunities. I don't want to just step in and take action when I don't understand what is going on. 
On the other hand, they're under this pressure to deliver results quickly. And so they're kind of stuck in this dilemma of saying, hey, if I don't act fast enough, I'm going to get fired. But if I act too fast, I might make mistakes and then I'm going to get fired as well. So they have a tough position to be in. And the CMO has a lot of pressure on them because that's where all the growth comes from. The growth isn't coming from accounting or from the engineering department so much. These people are doing important jobs that have to be done. But when it comes to growing a business, nobody's more responsible for that than the CMO, with the exception of the CEO himself. And that was a thread that I saw in some of the interviews about this new highway to the CEO coming from CMOs. It's it's a trend I've I've read about. And can you explain why that might actually be picking up in the future? I think it's picking up because it goes back to this issue of growth. What is the CEO's responsibility? Yes, he needs to make sure that he's spending money wisely, that he's not losing money. That's the accounting side. Yes, he needs to make sure that the product is correct and good and that it's being produced the right way. That's part of the product team responsibility. But ultimately, what Wall Street and what investors and everybody is looking at is, are you growing? Are you growing revenue? Are you growing profit? And that goes to marketing. That's straight to marketing. And it also goes to sales. But a lot of CMOs are taking responsibility for sales and even customer service. A lot of these other areas of businesses, customer service, sales, are being absorbed by marketing. And the CMO is becoming responsible for that side of the business. So when you look at what investors really care about when it comes to a business, it all seems to tie back to the CMO. And that seems to be one reason why a lot of CMOs are then becoming the CEOs because they understand what the shareholders want better than anybody else in the C-suite. Yeah, they know which levers to uh, pull to get the fastest result. One of the things I was wondering about is, you know, with this short tenure of, of many CMOs, are there – are they talking at all about the misalignment of what the expectations were? In other words, are they, are there the companies that hire them, are they being clear about what they want or, or is that an issue? Yes. One of the questions I asked was how do you coordinate and communicate with other members of the C-suite to make sure that your objectives are aligned? And a lot of the CMOs talked about having regular meetings with the CEO and with other members of the C-suite and how important that is. Because marketing is traditionally not very well understood. The traditional view of marketing is it's some sort of art form, it's magic, these people go in, kind of like in the TV show Mad Men, these marketers, they just come up with creative ideas and they throw stuff out there and nobody knows why it works and why it doesn't work. And that's the idea that a lot of these CMOs are laboring under, or that's the attitude that other members of the C-suite have, and the marketers need have to go in and say, that's not the way it is anymore. We're using data and numbers, and we're crunching stuff, and we're hacking through this, and we're figuring things out, but it's a now much more of a scientific process and less of an art form. But in order to show that to other members of the C-suite, they have to really communicate a lot with them and make sure that these other members understand that so they don't get written off as just, oh, those creative, artsy people who do weird stuff. <laughs> yes. I remember the uh, former CMO of HubSpot 
Mike Volpe used to describe that perception of marketers as arts and crafts party planners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's just not the reality these days. Uh, for example, for example, Heather Zinczak at Domo, she's the CMO there, but her background is programming and engineering. She's coming from a very technical background into the top marketing role. And that's because that's what the marketing role is today. It's very technical. It's dealing with stats and numbers and programming and growth hacking type stuff. That's all about data. And yes, there is that creative aspect to it, the arts and crafts side of things, but it's very data focused these days and data driven. And if members of the C-suite and CEOs especially don't understand that, then they're going to make the wrong decisions about marketing and who they hire and how they work with the marketers. Mm -hmm. One interesting question, one of many, was uh, when you asked them if you could go back to when you first accepted the CMO position, if you go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, that's one of my favorite questions because it shows what they've learned since getting into that position. And that goes back to that answer. A lot of them said, oh, I would have listened more. I would have communicated more. I would have shared my vision better with others. And I think that's how we all feel in our jobs often is we look back and we say, I thought everybody understood what I was doing. I thought everybody had the same vision that I had, we kind of assume that everybody understands what we understand. And then after we get fired or we move on, we realize, wow, nobody really understood what I was doing or people didn't have that shared vision. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to also wonder if that helps them to maybe become better communicators and, and, and teachers. You talk about them having to talk to the other C-suite people probably more than they, they thought they would. You mentioned, uh, that one uh, CMO with the engineering background, she was not the only one. There were some others that had very technical backgrounds. And one of the other questions you ask is, it, um, is there anything in your background not tied to marketing, but which you feel has been beneficial to your role as a, as a marketer? What were some of the other answers to that question? Well, being an entrepreneur myself, one of my favorite responses was when they said, oh, I used to work for a startup or I was an entrepreneur, and that's really helped me with marketing. I like that answer. And they talked about these CMOs who do have an entrepreneurial background talked about the challenges of starting a business, having to do everything, having to wear a lot of hats, having to kind of scramble to just get things done, and how that translated to their roles as marketers where there are so many things going on and so many moving parts involved with marketing and really so many opportunities, more opportunities than anybody can take advantage of. And so these CMOs have to think quick, act quick and respond in the flash of a second and then just deal with what happens. And that's very much like running a startup. Mm -hmm. Did you find that most didn't study marketing uh, as undergraduates? Many of them did study marketing, but many of them did not. And every, it's funny, every single one that I interviewed, it seemed like when I would, my first question was always, tell me your story. How did you get started? How did your life lead you to being the CMO at this company? And almost every single one would say the same words at the beginning. They'd say, well, I took a non-traditional route to the CMO office. And then they would tell me their story and no two stories were the same. 
So what I came away with from that was, I guess there is no traditional route to the CMO office because they don't think there is, and nobody's story was the same. I don't remember anybody responding to that question saying, well, I went into college and I wanted to be a CMO or a VP of marketing, and so I studied marketing and I worked my way up the marketing ladder. That's not the story I heard. It was people doing all sorts of crazy things, going to foreign countries, working in the Peace Corps, or... One guy was in marketing, but he was selling dog food, and now he's a CMO at Nestle. And all sorts of interesting stories led them to where they are. And there was no one theme, really, with all those stories. Other than that, there is no theme. Mm -hmm. So when they're building, and I I noticed one, uh, I think the the GE CMO, she talked about having 4,000 people in marketing. And there was another interview where the you said how big is your marketing team and i think she said it's a small no it was the chief marketing officer at harvard business school <laughs> he said well i have a small team it's only 15 <laughs> which i think for uh, a lot of folks that's still pretty big but when they're putting these teams together what what kind of people are they uh what kind of skills are they looking for and uh, what are they doing to to keep these Kind of this kind of talent that they're looking for? Well, in a recent book about Google, Eric Schmidt talked about how they hire smart creatives at Google. And that's what kept coming up with these CMO interviews is these CMOs are looking for people who aren't just marketers, but are people who can figure things out and get things done, even if they don't understand it initially. And that seemed to be a recurring theme that They want people who are curious, who are creative, who are talented with data and with numbers, but can combine that with creative thinking about design and marketing. And although we didn't use this term a lot, it was going through my head all the time, and it was the term growth hacking. It really seems like marketing is growth hacking. It's figuring things out because marketing is changing so rapidly that if somebody doesn't understand how to figure things out, then they can't do the job because what marketing is today is not what marketing is going to be two years from now, at least in terms of the tactics and the technology and the details. I mean, look at Snapchat. We didn't have Snapchat two years ago, and now it's this huge phenomenon. But now Instagram has released stories, so that's competing with Snapchat. These things happen so quickly. I don't even think we talked about Snapchat in these interviews, and the book just came out. But when I was doing the interviews a few months ago, Snapchat really wasn't that big of a thing, so we didn't talk about it. And that landscape is changing so quickly that you need people on your team who can figure these things out, even if they don't know what's coming down the road. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, related to that just unbelievable velocity of of things changing, what kind of insights did you get about how they keep up with all the different channels and and marketing vendors and opportunities? You know, you can look at Scott Brinker's uh, website, chiefmartech.com, and he updates that landscape every year, and it's it must be up to 4,000 marketing vendors. What what are they, what are their approaches to, to keeping on, on top of that? Yeah, so the CMO of Campaign Monitor, he brought up that marketing landscape technology infographic, and I think it is well over 4,000 now. It's doubled from last year. I checked it the other day, and it's doubled from last year. So this infographic shows logos of all the different marketing technology vendors 
And you look at these 4,000 companies that only focus on marketing technology and you realize there is no way I can keep up with this. I mean, imagine being a CMO and imagine having the CEO come to you and say, are you keeping up on all the marketing technology out there? And you're thinking about this MarTech graphic and thinking, uh, there are 4,000 companies out there. There is no way I can know what all of these companies do and how each of these companies can benefit our company. But they can't say that, and can they, to the boss? They can't exactly say that. They can't. But what they can say is, hey, we're on top of things. We're doing things that are driving results. And so I asked the CMOs, hey, how do you keep up with all this technology? And they said, I don't. I try. I try to go to events. I read articles. I try to keep up on stuff, but it's impossible. There's no way I can do that. And so they say, I depend on my team for that. I depend on other members of my team to be out there researching, staying on top of things, finding opportunities and bringing those opportunities to me. But even if they have a team of 20 people, they can't keep up with it. Now, maybe at GE where they have 4,000 people, maybe they can actually keep up with all those things. But it's there are so many opportunities out there that the CMO has to decide out of the 100 good opportunities in front of me, which are the five that I'm going to focus on? And that's the real challenge there for these CMOs with all the technology and all the other opportunities out there is they have to make decisions and then they have to live with it and they have to produce results. And they just have to be able to sleep with that because there's no way that they can get the right decision every time. There's no way that they can always be perfect or make sure that they're doing the absolute best thing. So they have to focus on, hey, is it good enough? Am I producing results that keeps ever, keep everybody happy? And then they have to bring those numbers to the C-suite and prove that what they're doing is affecting the bottom line and moving in the right direction. But I'm sure there's always that tickle in the back of their mind saying, maybe if I use this other technology, maybe we would have gotten better results. Or maybe if I was more on top of reading about this, then I'd know about some technology that would really help us. But there's just no way for them to keep up. Yeah, I think they must have a strong um, immunity to shiny object syndrome because you literally every day could be finding something new uh, to to get distracted with. But, you know, it's like we're describing Mission Impossible here. And let's just add to that. Um, a lot of companies don't really know as much about their customers as they as they need to. How are... These CMOs, especially the ones at the larger organizations, how are they going about keeping in touch with their customers and understanding, you know, what, what they want and what they hate? So there are the traditional ways. They send out customer service surveys. They go and sit down and talk with the customers directly. And of course, data is a big way for them to keep in touch with customers. So they're looking at behavior and how the customers are using the things that they do. One of my favorite stories was Seth Bartman, who is the CMO of Spotify. He said they were watching the data and the usage patterns for the Spotify app, and they noticed that as people at nighttime, around bedtime, people were turning on Spotify and then just letting it go for hours and hours and hours. And they were asking themselves, why are these people turning on Spotify at 10, 11 p.m. and then letting it go for hours? What is going on here? And they realized these people are sleeping to the music. They're turning on the music and they listen to the music while they sleep for the whole night. And as a result of that, they made changes with their playlists and the music they offered at, and at what time they were promoting 
playlist to people so that they could cater to their customers who used Spotify to help them go to sleep. And I thought that was a very interesting way for them to stay in touch with the consumer. You wouldn't necessarily get that from a survey or from even sitting down with a customer because the customer might not even recognize that this is valuable information that the company wants to hear. But because they were watching how people were using the app and looking at the data, they were able to see that and then cater to it. Hmm. So uh, one of the things that I find myself explaining to companies where maybe they don't know as, as much about uh, marketing, like you described some of the businesses you've dealt with, is, is how marketing has changed. And normally, you know, jaws drop and people are surprised. I noticed you asked that question of the CMOs you interviewed. What were some of the answers you got about how has marketing changed over the past 20 years? I guess to them anyway. There were two sides to the answers to that question. One side of it was, oh, marketing's completely different. It's data-driven and it's numbers and it's not this Mad Men era random creativity and then we win an award and everybody's happy. Now we have to focus on revenue and profits and a direct contribution to the bottom line. There was that answer. And then the other answer was, oh, marketing's the same today. It's always been the same. It always will be the same. It's a matter of creating great content and then figuring out the channel as to how you deliver that content. And that's always the same no matter what. And so it was interesting to hear the different answers and the different sides. But they all agreed that the technology, the tactics are changing, but the core of marketing remains the same, which is you have to be in touch with your customers and understand what they want and deliver what they want. And that's what it, marketing ultimately comes down to. Did you did you get the sense that the, the CMOs now versus 20 years ago are moving uh, much further away or not further away, but have a lot more responsibility beyond just the, the promotion of, of marketing? You know, if you think back to the four Ps, uh, are they more involved now in things like product development and distribution and things like that? Yes, absolutely. The CMO, and again, this goes back to why I think CMOs are becoming CEOs in a lot of cases, is marketing gets information that affects the entire business. And so as marketing goes out, they can validate product ideas before that product has ever been created or manufactured. The marketers can test advertising and they see how people react to that in, on a digital platform like Facebook, they can see which ads get clicked on and they can take that information back to engineering or product development and say, hey, this is interesting information we're getting about what people are interested in and maybe you should take this into account as you're developing the product because we think here's something that people would be interested in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In terms of the, the future, what, what kind of, what, what sense did you get from them about where they thought marketing was going and, and, you know, the future of marketing. They all agreed that marketing is moving much faster. Everything is speeding up. And as time goes forward, that's only going to increase. And so it's harder and harder for the chief marketing officer to stay on top of where everything is going, even if they watch those fundamentals. On the other hand, one thing going back to that question of what surprised me, I was expecting a lot of these CMOs to talk a lot about big data and how reliant they are on data. And I was surprised that a lot of them talked about backing away from data, actually. 
not that they're ignoring the data, but they're saying we need to balance looking at the data with other factors. We can't depend 100% on the data or we're going to make mistakes there. And so they talked about this balanced approach in the future of, yes, we're looking at the data. Yes, we're making decisions based on data, but we're still looking at all these other touch points and other factors and other criteria and other information we have. And we're balancing that against the data because sometimes data can lead you to make bad marketing decisions if you interpret that data incorrectly. And so I thought there really was an interesting balanced approach to data. In fact, a lot of people kind of, a lot of the CMOs kind of scoffed at big data and said, oh, people are too reliant on data. There's too much attention to data and it's just a way to hide accountability because then you can always go back and say, well, this is what the data said and that's why I did this. And you can use that as an excuse. But these CMOs that I was talking to are saying, that's no excuse. If you don't produce results, you can't blame it on data. You're going to get blamed and you're going to get fired for that. So we have to look at data as one point, but we can't depend on data too much or we'll still get fired. Well, that sounds very refreshing to me um, because apparently there are CMOs out there or marketing people or business folks who are using data uh, like the old Ogilvy uh, expression where you – they, they're using data like a drunk uses a streetlight more to help support them than for illumination. And, yes. <laughs> uh, there's, so there's others that are saying, you know, it's, it's data. Yeah. But you need to get, you need to be pulling insights out of that. So I was, I was glad to hear that. I've got friends in the, in academia who are, uh, teaching marketing and, uh, you know, they're doing all they can to, to keep up and update their curriculum pretty much every semester. What what kind of answers did you get to the question about what skills uh, should students be acquiring today to prepare them to be marketers in the future? Well, one thing that doesn't work is to study where marketing is today, because as soon as these kids graduate, whatever is going on today is not what marketing is going to be when they graduate. And all these marketers talked about how when they were studying, I mean, think about it. A lot of these CMOs, they were in college 20, 30 years ago. How much has marketing changed? How much has the technology impacting marketing changed since 20 or 30 years ago? Whatever they learned about marketing in terms of technology or in terms of tactics has completely changed. But there are those parts of marketing that never change, those fundamentals like people always appreciate great content. People always want to have content delivered to them in the way that they want to consume the content, not the way that advertisers necessarily want them to consume content. So there are some timeless aspects to marketing, and there are those parts of marketing that change with time. And these CMOs emphasized the importance of sticking with the part of marketing that doesn't change. And that goes back to curiosity and creativity and these core fundamental skills that will always be useful for these students as they grow within the marketing profession because those curiosity, creativity, being able to figure things out, being able to hack things together, that will always be valuable today, 20 years, 50 years in the future. Mm -hmm. Josh, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? It's this one word, empathy. To me, that came through time and time again in the book that a marketer can have all the data, all the technology, all the tools, a great team, 
But if they do not have empathy for the consumer, if they do not understand who that consumer is and where that consumer is coming from, then they're going to fail despite everything else that they have. But if they have empathy for the consumer, they can figure out the right technology, the right content, the right tools. So empathy for the consumer to me shown through as the one core part of marketing that is absolutely essential. Extremely well said. You've really put your finger on it there. And yet that seems to be the hardest thing for some organizations to do. So what books have inspired your work and career? Oh, let's see. How many hours do we have here? I I, I could go there's on no, for... There's no limit on the amount of audio tape I have here. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to your podcast with Ryan Holiday the other day, the ego is the enemy one. And Ryan is the only person I know who reads more than I do. That guy is a crazy reader, but I read a lot. And some of my favorite books when it comes to business and marketing, one I read last year was Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. And that's a book all about the founding of Pixar. And Ed was a friend of Steve Jobs. And he gives an interesting perspective on Steve Jobs that's very different from what we tend to hear in the media about Steve being a jerk or being this hard-driving leader. Ed gives a more intimate, personal view of Steve Jobs that I think is fascinating. And also, it's just a great story about Pixar and how that company was founded and the creativity. Another one is... Boyd by Roger Corum. This is a biography of John Boyd, who was perhaps one of the most influential people in military history, and yet hardly anybody knows who he is, uh, probably because he was a loudmouth and made a lot of people angry, and so he didn't get much recognition for what he did. But He developed the OODA, wasn't that right? That's right. The OODA loop came from John Boyd, or yeah, from John Boyd, and if you read this book, Looking at it from a business strategy perspective or a marketing perspective, it's fascinating. It's a military book, and a lot of people might think, what's military have to do with marketing? Well, marketing has a lot to do with strategy, and this book's all about strategy and tactics, and I thought this was just a fascinating book from a marketing perspective about how to stay ahead of competition and how to compete effectively. And then uh, to round it out with a third book, uh, I read recently, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And this was a fascinating book to me because it deals with psychology and psychology is such an integral part of marketing. Daniel Kahneman is this amazing researcher who has done all sorts of studies that you and I and everybody else has heard of, but we don't recognize that this all came from Daniel Kahneman and his partner who worked on these studies. And so he came up with all sorts of different theories about biases and the way that our mind works. So for example, the idea that if you show somebody a price and you say, oh, this costs $200, but then you drop down to 150, that that person is more likely to buy the $150 product once you've already anchored the price at 200, because now it seems like it's a good deal, it's lower. And so of course, you've seen this in practice on Amazon and all sorts of other e-commerce websites. Well, that's something that was researched by Daniel Kahneman, and that's why people do that. And he came up with 50 other things that are just fascinating. So I thought that was a very interesting book from a marketing perspective as well. Yes, and that's not the first time that uh, his book, that book has been uh, mentioned on this, uh, on this podcast. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? 
I'm looking forward to reading Ask Gary V from Gary Vaynerchuk. I haven't read that yet, but I'm a big Gary Vaynerchuk fan, so I'm looking forward to reading that one. And then a brand new one that just came out is Hustle by Neil Patel, Patrick Blaskovitz, and Jonas Koffler. Uh, those guys are great marketers and startup guys, and plus they stole the title that I wanted to use for one of my books in the future, Hustle. So I've got to read that book. I'm really excited to see what's in it. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you talk about the book Hustle, and you talk about Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, who is, you know, many would argue is Mr. Hustle. Um, that book is uh, looks to be very interesting about the one by Neil Patel and the other two. And it's it's beyond marketing. It's it's about uh, life and and attitude and motivation from from what I've been able to discern. Yeah, and that's it. Our world is moving so fast these days, and some people don't like that. Some people want to relax and they want more time. I love the hustle. I love the activity and doing everything quick, and I don't want to be so busy that I ignore what's most important, but there's so much opportunity and so many things to experience that I just love living life fast forward. In fact, I listen to my books on the Audible app. And the Audible app allows you to listen to books at triple speed. And I love doing that. It's super fast, but I get so much more reading done. And now I'm used to listening at things fast. And if I go listen to a podcast or something at normal speed, I think, oh, this is so slow. I just, I can't take it. And so it seems like listening to things fast has made me eager to just live life faster. Well, and you're, you're obviously living in the right city for that if you're in, you're in Hong Kong. But uh, Josh, uh, we will try to produce a separate version of this podcast just for you. We'll send it to you, and it'll, we'll try and put it at triple speed. All right. So how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? JoshStimely.com. That's my website, and I've got links to the book and everything else there. And spell your last name? S-T-E-I-M as in Mary, L-E. And we'll make sure to put links to all of that on the show notes for your episode at MarketingBookPodcast.com. The name of the book is Chief Marketing Officers at Work. The author is Josh Steinley. Josh, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And that closes the book on episode 86 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and access to free marketing guides for my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. Hey, you. Yes, you. I want to hear from you. Modern marketing is moving pretty quickly. If I can answer your questions or help point you in the right direction to get the information you need, please don't hesitate to ask. It's the least I can do for my listeners who listen all the way to the end. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Or heck, just tweet me up using hashtag marketingbook. And please join us next time as we welcome Paul Smith to the show to talk about his newest book, Sell with a Story. How to capture attention, build trust, and close the sale. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.